0: This is an RNZ podcast. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Not in a wild woohoo, I love, the, I love royalty sort of way, but in a, this is fun, this is a magnificent folly, this is, this is a good thing to do at this time when, when things are terrible and difficult. Why not?
1: That was News Talk ZB's Andrew Dickens. No major monarchist, as he said there, but, like many in the media lately, he told his listeners last Monday he was looking forward to this weekend's
0: coronation spectacle because it would be, well, spectacular. Um, What what would I call it? You know, um, a sideshow from the drudgery of everyday life. A, A bit of fun.
1: Well, Sideshow is one way of putting it, but this was also a confirmation of a new head of state for us for the first time in 70 years, and an opportunity to ponder our constitutional arrangements, republicanism and other stuff that many people said it was too soon to discuss when Queen Elizabeth died last year. But is that what New Zealand news media audiences actually want right now, or do they want a bit of fun? In a minute, we'll ask about that. But the media of the not-so-United Kingdom right now have also been debating the coronation because there, just like here, there's a fairly severe cost-of-living crisis going on in the
2: background. It's not going to be cheap, according to Britain's Sun newspaper. Charles's coronation is expected to cost around, wait for it, 120 million euros. If it was to be comparable with the previous one, it would be something like 46 million quid. Uh, That's what it equates to now from 1953
1: costs. Well, it depends how you account for it. I hope we see a coronation that is sufficiently dignified for our sovereign. This is a one-off cost. According to a poll of 4,500 Britons in mid-April, commissioned by the BBC's flagship current affairs show Panorama, 54% of people believed that the monarchy was good value for money in Britain, but a third thought the opposite. And a lack of clarity about actual royal finances, said Panorama, was feeding public doubts about that and whether the royals could really empathise with their subjects who were doing it tough. But on News Talk ZB last Monday, Andrew Dickens referred to another survey that said the £100 million a year that British taxpayers tip into the monarchy returns
0: £1.7 billion to the UK economy. Uh, the royal family is good business for the UK. That's why when you start hearing from Green MPs in, in the UK about, well, oh, you know, the royalty's past its time, uh, you go, well, actually, I think there's a lot of business people who will say no and they're not going to get rid of it in any time just because you think it's an anachronism because there's so much money coming out of it.
1: Possibly all true, but that £1.7 billion figure was also the estimate of a British marketing and branding company, and some of that value was in the existing brand value of the House of Windsor, they said, and much of it IP that they already own. Anyhow, to those who said that the cashed-up new king should have footed the bill for his own coronation – ZB's Andrew Dickens insisted that the monarchy's matinee on Saturday could probably pay for itself.
0: The amount of tat that they're selling, the amount of memorabilia that they're selling, the amount of um, hotel rooms that they're filling out, the number of airfares they're doing, the number of uh, people who are, who are operating hospitality facilities that are catering for the people that have come for the coronation, it's
1: huge. And among those beating a path to London for the coronation was Andrew Dickens' ZB colleagues, Kate Hawksby, and her partner on the air and in life. Mike Hosking. Though when he got to London, Mike Hosking found that coronation fervour hadn't been quite enough to revive
2: a suffering London CBD. There are more empty shots than there are full ones. You just need to be here a while to notice these sort of differences. I mean we went to lunch uh, the other day at what was once one of the city's best restaurants, no longer. Uh, the prices hadn't changed, well they had actually, had gone up, but everything else had slipped. Service was not what it was. Uh, the polish isn't quite there anymore. So once again, for all the issues we face in New Zealand, and they are many and varied and some indeed very worrying, we are far from alone. Now, during the COVID close down here, Mike
1: Hosking condemned New Zealand as a hermit kingdom while he praised the UK, among other countries, for ending lockdowns earlier and opening up their economies and their borders for things like holidays overseas. Though once in London, he told his listeners this last week. The
2: debate now is who has handled it better. I've got little doubt that London, more broadly Britain, did it better than us, way better than us. Their debt is terrible still, but it started out worse, hence their inflation's still a mess. But to suggest the world has moved on and got back to normal isn't true. Now any politician who switched positions like that would be hauled over the coals on the
1: Mike Hosking breakfast, you'd think, for flip-flopping. But reckons on the radio made with absolute conviction by the host in the past, it seems, can be simply reversed at will later on with no acknowledgement necessary. Now, when it comes to the monarchy, Mike Hosking is much more emotionally invested than his colleague Andrew Dickens, judging by this wobble on the air when the news broke last year that Queen Elizabeth II had died.
2: It's very upsetting, isn't it? I mean, it's end of an era. I don't know that I can... I don't... Just give me a couple
1: minutes. But according to that opinion poll aired on BBC TV's Panorama last week, not all Brits are as hopelessly devoted to the monarchy now under new management.
0: A new poll suggests public opinion about the British royals is changing, with less than a third of 18 to 24-year-olds in the UK wanting the monarchy to continue.
1: And it turned out that Mike Hosking had actually caught that episode of Panorama on BBC television, and he didn't like that particular take.
2: That was the only
1: demographic
2: that was actually negative towards the monarchy. 25 to to 49-year-olds, 48 favoured the um, monarchy. 50 to 64-year-olds 67% favoured the monarchy, 65 pluses 78% favoured the monarchy. So in totality, which is how these stories should be told, the vast majority of people still favour the monarchy. But on
1: those results concerning younger people, ZB's Mr Monarchy got his maths a bit messed
2: up the 18 to 24-year-olds, 32 didn't want it, 38 did. And, uh, sorry, 32 did, 38 didn't. So, in other words, a majority didn't want it anymore. What they didn't point out, or most of the coverage I read didn't point out, is 40% didn't know. It was actually
1: 30% who said they didn't know, not 40. And while the majority of 58% overall did indeed back the retention of the monarchy in this particular poll, Mike Hosking didn't mention the trend that Panorama picked up based on a previous one.
0: When YouGov asked the same question in July 2013, a year after the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, 75% of people polled said the monarchy should continue, and only 17% wanted an elected head of state. For young people, decline in support appears starker. In the new poll, less than a third of 18 to 24-year-olds said the monarchy should continue.
1: And Mike Hosking also didn't mention that 45% of the people polled by Panorama said they believed King Charles III was out of touch, and only 36% said they believed he wasn't. On News Hub at 6 last Tuesday, on the other hand, they had no qualms about saying
3: this. Monarchy popularity has hit a record low. Only three in every ten Brits consider the monarch very important.
1: And there, News Hub's Lisette Raymer was talking about another survey of 6,500 UK people, part of 40 years' worth of data that's part of the British Annual Social Attitude Survey. And it also noted that the royal family usually gets a bump in support around jubilees, weddings or royal births. Though when Lisette Raymer vox popped the people already holding down a spot in the street almost a full week out from this weekend's coronation convoy, there was no surprise that she found British devotees like this guy. Hip hip away, hip hip away, free cheers for the king and queen. Hip hip away,
3: hip hip away.
1: Well here too, people revering royalty made the news this week with the
0: coronation imminent. Plans for the big night are low key. I'd watch it, but it won't get me upset or anything like that. I'm past that business, but I'll have a cup of tea for him here.
1: That's royal fan Barbara Larson on Morning Report on RNZ National last Tuesday. She's collected royal stuff in New Plymouth since she was a child in a house where the walls are lined with royal books and mementos. And TBNZ were certainly banking on New Zealanders wanting wall-to-wall royal coverage this past week. The state-owned broadcaster, which turned down an invitation to air the state memorial service for Queen Elizabeth II last year, began last Wednesday night on TBNZ1 with last year's Royal Variety Command performance. The Coronation Street on after that was just a coincidence. Then on Friday there was a King Charles special episode of The Repair Shop on TBNZ1, followed by My King Charles III, a uniquely intimate portrait of the man behind the crown, according to TBNZ. After that, King Charles III, a new era, billed as a groundbreaking and moving documentary, including never-before-seen interviews with his former butler. And on Coronation Day itself, on Saturday, TBNZ kicked off the coverage at 10am with another big gig, The Platinum Party at the Palace. After that, a doco called Fergie and Megan, Inconvenient Royals, and then Catherine, Our Queen-in-Waiting, profiling the Princess of Wales. That was then followed by Charles and the Women Who Could Have Been Queen, all about Charles's search for a bride down the years before settling on the one who's actually become Her Majesty. And at 7pm, TBNZ news hosts Melissa Stokes and Daniel Faitawa took over, joining the BBC's coverage from London later on. And for those wanting an alternative to TBNZ's Their Majesty's coronation, the TV Channel 3 offered the coronation of Their Majesties on Saturday night, hooking into the coverage of the BBC's rival in the UK, ITV. Though last month, TV Channel 3's show The Project did promote a genuine alternative when visiting British comedian Ross Noble declared he'd be doing his own alternative live commentary on the coronation on the night. Especially the BBC,
3: you know, they have all these posh people and they always do this thing where nothing's happening and they'll have some, and they'll just go, wonderful scenes now, wonderful (laughs) scenes, wonderful scenes now, wonderful scenes. So that's basically, you don't have to know anything at all, you just have to say, wonderful scenes now, wonderful scenes.
1: Now, of course, for royalty fans, these are really wonderful scenes and ones they don't get to see very often. And some know the traditions, the royal pomp and circumstance in detail, as ZB's Andrew Dickens discovered when he described the ceremonials last Monday as a bit pantomime, and especially when he mocked
0: the Stone of Destiny from Scotland. And I saw a wonderful person who actually posted a picture of the transportation of the Stone of Scone and saying, if you ask somebody from another planet what the on earth is happening here, they could not answer it. They're worshipping a freaking stone. You know, I, I think scoog, the, um, sorry.
1: And on this and some other matters of royal tradition, Andrew Dickens was royally fact checked by some of his own listeners.
2: It's my heritage, and mm-hmm. I'm proud of the heritage. Coronations have been going on since the first recorded one of King Athelstane in 925 AD. Yeah. The ceremony follows largely the same format. It's solemn, and the stone of school was placed under St Edward's chair by King Edward I.
1: And it wasn't only the older-sounding listeners who were looking forward to the coronation.
3: Yeah, I think it's going to be cool, and I don't know why everyone's bagging it out. Like, I get it, it's expensive.
1: However, one change to the tradition that didn't go down so well with Andrew Dickens
0: was that invitation for us all to pledge allegiance to the new king. Chanting along with the Archbishop of Canterbury? Come on, get real it's 2023 we're just watching this for the for the fancy vermin uh, you know cloak and the and the crowns and the jewels and the horses and the carriages and the people and the flags <laughs> now that would probably be an
1: ermine cloak unless they're making them out of ratskins these days but andrew dickens was backed up on his point about that pledge of allegiance by the vox popped people of new zealand
0: why would i pledge my allegiance i just don't feel that i owe them anything i think it's sort of a uh, old fashion, I wouldn't do that.
1: Another piece of royal protocol was breached by our own Prime Minister just before he jetted off to the coronation when Chris Hipkins, rather than the palace, told the media he'd be meeting the King, prompting this from News Hub political editor Jenna Lynch.
3: Chippy had a slippy, accidentally revealing today that he will be getting a meeting with the one, the only, His Majesty King Charles.
1: Now, there was plenty more where that came from this past week until this weekend's actual coronation. But for those who'd had more than enough, there was an online solution of sorts as well.
0: Maori artist Hami Ora Bailey has developed a way to make your computer filter out news about the royal family and replace it with
3: local and indigenous news. The plugin works by scanning web pages for keywords and visuals relating to the royal family. The royal content is then removed and replaced by articles sourced from multiple Indigenous publishers.
1: Well, one outlet where that online plug-in wouldn't have come in all that handy if you wanted to unplug royal coverage was newsroom.co.nz, which had nothing in the way of coronation coverage on its main site this past week. Though it does also co-produce, with RNZ, the daily podcast The Detail, which last Monday did devote an episode to the coronation. And the host, Sarah Robson, wrapped it up with an intriguing question for the New Zealand Woman's Weekly Royal Correspondent Donna Fleming. Was the coronation actually necessary?
2: He doesn't
0: actually officially need to have a coronation. Like you say, as soon as his mother died, he became king, and he's been known as King Charles since then. But this is just sort of putting the icing on top in a way, and it is officially saying that he is the head of state, he's the head of the church. That's an important part of it. And it's just officiating, making everything official. So... It is important in that respect, but technically, no, he doesn't actually need to be crowned.
1: And on Friday, Newsroom's political editor, Joe Moyer, said this in its weekly podcast, Raw Politics.
3: Is it time for New Zealand to become a republic? I feel like this question has been asked so many times, and here we are, talking about it again.
1: And then, on Raw Politics, the co-editor of Newsroom, Tim Murphy, turned all prime ministerial himself, ruling out republicanism here in his
3: lifetime, unless... What would have to cause it will be something um, international, probably at their end, that something either tragic, uh, and we lose a few of them, uh, and get down to someone who no one wants in in any part of the world as as the, the monarch, or... Uh, Something scandalous that has the same effect that that turns off uh, the populace in Australia or here or elsewhere.
1: Now earlier, Tim Murphy had pointed out on social media that after decades of people saying that a national debate would likely follow the Queen's death, it just isn't happening. And one of those who's saying this debate was due after the Queen died last year was Otago University Professor of Law Andrew Geddes, writing for Newsroom at that time. He said that the media coverage of Queen Elizabeth's death pointed to some of the reasons for removing the sovereign as our head of state. Watching the Queen's coffin's procession to an 11th century palace
2: some 1,800 kilometres away, surrounded by pomp and ceremony harking back centuries, makes it abundantly clear this is not our monarchy.
1: History may have bequeathed us the state of affairs, said Andrew Geddes, but retaining it, is an active choice. But eight months on, a similar monarchical spectacle has been back on our screens big time this past week, with next to nothing in the media pondering the possibility of change, save for reports of our Prime Minister saying New Zealand will, ideally and in time, become a country independent of the British Crown. Now, that in itself wasn't a change from what his predecessors as Prime Minister had said. So this week I asked Andrew Geddes has media ambivalence about the issue and its fondness for royal spectacle taken the issue off the agenda altogether?
3: I don't get a strong sense amongst uh, New Zealanders that we're seeing it as sort of our new king coming in. It's more, oh, isn't it funny how the British are having their king? which then brackets incidentally means he'll transfer over to us, but, oh, that's just a sideline. So when you see the coronation, I mean, it's all the bunting is Union Jacks. Ceremonial, the the uh, the the event is essentially based around all British traditions, you know, the, the Stone of Destiny and all these weird swords that they have with the, the British tradition and so on. There's nothing that we see there that really speaks to New Zealand of today. So much of the reverence, if you want, for the monarchy is tied up with uh, the individuals concerned, and the Queen had that, and she'd earned it, and, you know, we have become so used to her and so respected her. Now she's no longer there. It does open up the space to have the discussion if people want to have it. But that's not to say people actually really want to have the discussion at all, and it does seem at the moment uh, there isn't a great appetite for talking about the, you know, to be honest, fairly symbolic not that practically important uh, aspects of our constitution in this way.
1: Do you think the media aren't really interested in raising this issue now of the Republic? Uh, And that perhaps Tim Murphy of Newsroom is right in saying, look, this doesn't seem to be happening. And New Zealand are a bit apathetic, a a passive kind of place in terms of this issue of Republicanism. And the media don't see that the public are all that bothered. They're not going to raise the issue.
3: Yeah, I mean, it is a bit of a chicken and egg question, right? You know, are people not interested because the media is not talking about it or is the media not talking about it because people aren't interested? Uh, Probably both. When we look at the opinion polls... Uh, it does seem that the majority of people are happy to stick with the status quo, uh, and if there's no sort of groundswell, or if the you know the stories that are put out there that sort of dangle the you know the prospect of republicanism aren't getting the hits, aren't you know because you know the media gets to see what people are reading. It, why would the media really feel that they need to be almost preaching at people about something that they just don't care about? Uh, the other thing I think we do need to note is to change to uh, a republic would involve some constitutional change and of course once you start to tinker with one little bit of the constitution you start to open up much much bigger questions uh, much bigger questions that are a lot harder to answer Uh, and given the uh, way in which people shy away from simple questions of co-governance around water are people going to want to talk about that at a national level Listening to
1: the the newsroom uh, crew, Joe Moyer, political editor, Sam Sash, correspondent, and the co-editor Tim Murphy, all talking about this, they they raised the thing of look at what happened with the flag referendum, you know, which uh, they described as disastrous. But for the media, that was probably a big hit, wasn't it? Could, could it? Is it not conceivable that even though New Zealanders might be, as you described it, traditionally somewhat passive and avoidant when it comes to constitutional change, that a media kind of push on this could actually be one that generates a whole lot of engagement for them?
3: Possibly. But of course, you have to remember, with the flag referendum, John Key came out and said, we're going to do it. And then once it was going to be done, then that generated the content for the media to work off. If the media had just gone out and said, hey, hey, shall we talk about changing the flag without the Prime Minister saying we're going to do it, would it have worked the same way? And that essentially is what would have to happen, right? So unless you've got one of the major parties coming out and saying, yep, we're going to make this an issue that we are going to act on, I don't think there's the hook there for uh, the media to get people um, biting on. A, A media campaign on this would result in pretty much the main political parties going, very interesting, but we're not ready to talk about it yet, With that response, you know, what is there really going to be to generate the kind of discussion and the interest and so on?
1: Yeah, it might have to be something like Australia or another country making the move and and that giving it some impetus. But uh, as Tim Murphy of Newsroom turned himself into the Prime Minister and ruled it out in his lifetime uh, as a prediction, I mean, as the constitutional expert and, and pundit who's often pulled in by the media to talk about this stuff, as I am now doing to you. Uh, Do you think it'll happen in your lifetime, or is that traditional passivity and avoidance uh, you detect the New Zealanders uh, likely to be the determining
3: factor? How long am I living for here, Colin? I mean, how how many years are you giving me? Um, It's very hard to, to see, you know, what the future holds. I mean, you raised one thing that could change matters quite a lot, which is, you know, if Australia decided to act on it, At the moment, looking at the issue within New Zealand's borders, I do think that we've got a bunch of other constitutional things that we need to get more comfortable talking about and more comfortable thinking about before we can really talk about the Republic properly. I think people are going to naturally want to try to avoid talking about the Republic, not because that's tricky and there's nothing can be done about it, more because they're worried about where it could lead.
1: Well, Andrew, having said there wasn't a whole lot of coverage of this issue that, uh, of, of New Zealand's future and its constitutional status uh, and the head of state and so on because of the kind of tidal wave of coverage of the coronation and a the spectacle. Uh, there was later in the week questions too, Uh, the Prime Minister, about uh, indigenous peoples of the, you know, the former empire, if I can put it that way, demanding an apology for the effects of colonisation. Te Pāti Māori here uh, was speaking about that in the media on Friday. It was put to the Prime Minister. Is that one area where perhaps there has been issues other than just simply what would be happening on the weekend was actually raised?
3: Yeah, so it does draw attention to the fact that the the monarch uh, is the monarch of what effectively was the old British Empire. What was interesting however was that when chris hipkins was asked you know do you think the king should apologize his response essentially was well that's not actually any of new zealand's business Uh, it's the business in essence of a foreign government and new zealand doesn't tell foreign governments what to do which overlooks or seems to downplay the fact that you know the king is the king of new zealand as well as the king of great britain i think it reinforces this idea that what we're viewing is the coronation of someone else's monarch, not really our head
1: of state. That was Otago University Professor of Law, Andrew Geddes.